<laughs> yeah, I like this right here. Makes me feel free. It's got that, uh, you know, that bomb. Ba-dum, bum, ba-da-da-da-da, mister. Ba-dum, bum, ba-da-da-da-da, world. Ba-dum, bum, ba-da-da-da-da, wide. <laughs> Let's just stay free to do what I Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And here we are, coming to you from the bunker location once again. Once more into the breach, my friend. Yes, and the new improved bunker. You have done some significant work here, my friend. I have. It's uh, a lot uh, has to do with friends at the Langhorn hardware store, some late night lows runs, and the good grace and delivery speed of Amazon. There we go. So both um, micro and macro. That's nice. It's micro and macro. I, I even, I accidentally ordered burgundy foam, so I went and like made it like every other so you can see. People can't really see. Maybe I'll post a picture. But it's very nice. It's, it's a lovely and I, I've been, look, an end table just for, you give it the lived in look and feel. <laughs> yeah, it, makes, it ties the room together. Yeah, it does. It really, just did. like the... Uh, like the rug in the Big Lebowski. Like the rug in the Big Lebowski. Well, today we thought we'd talk about freedom. Yes. Um, and we were inspired by uh, our reflections on why the libertarian candidate for president, Gary Johnson, yeah. doesn't seem to know anything about the world. Yeah, th- there, that definitely seems to be at least partially the case. Well, let's be fair. I mean, he seems to be a very intelligent man. He was a popular governor. But uh, when, you know, two very significant questions, he really, he really messed those up. And he even now has entered into the language, the lexicon, an Aleppo moment. Yeah, I hope that there's never a moment for me, like, that's named on any popular (laughs) guy, because it probably wouldn't be good. No, no. For those of us who who aren't familiar with Gary Johnson, I want to play a moment from, uh, Gary Johnson, of course, is a two-term governor, right, from New Mexico. Yes. And very popular one. And Johnson was a Republican, but sort of fancied himself. I mean, it's it's not fancy. I mean, he was. He self-identifies as a libertarian, like his running mate, Bill Weld, although they both were governors in in under, they served as Republican governors, but they were were distinctly libertarian uh, Republican governors. Let me show you, I have some clips from the libertarian debate at the convention. Well, that's listed. And I, this is an issue that it's, uh, I'm surprised that it didn't come up in the primary debates in the Democratic and Republican Party. And this may be why, you know, the the libertarian voice offers a distinctive flair. Should someone have to have a government-issued license to drive a car? Hell no. (laughs) That That response is by... It's Mr. Peterson. I couldn't figure out. That, but <laughs> next, we'll hear from Daryl Perry, who is the co-founder of the New Hampshire Libertarian Party. The government requires licenses for, to- for far too many things. The government requires licenses for people to broadcast radio. The government requires licenses to get married. They require a license to drive. What's next? Requiring a license to make toast in your own damn toaster? Absolutely not. Well, if your house has old electrical wiring, 
I mean, I can see. I mean, there's, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, there's a... Toasters can be very dangerous. Now, this is where I think this is... I don't think you can call this anything other than a really prophetic moment here as Gary Johnson enters the fray on this contentious issue. And here we'll hear from Mr. Johnson. Governor? I think government has a basic responsibility to protect us against individuals, groups, corporations, foreign governments that would do us harm. In that context, a license to drive? You know, I'd like to see some competency exhibited by people before they drive. As governor of New Mexico, I vetoed a whole lot of bills. I vetoed the haircutting license. I vetoed all sorts of licensing, but license to drive? I mean, you could, uh, arguably, you could have an insurance requirement, I guess, that then the insurance company would determine that would be on the road, I think, that would actually continue to drive until they hurt somebody. Now, Gary Johnson, before the faded Aleppo moment, was asked in an interview what kind of chances he gave himself to win the presidency of the United States. What, what, what odds, as a third-party candidate, did he think he, have, he had uh, of actually winning, which is, you know, a, a historically not an easy thing to do. And here, Bill, is his response. I'll give myself a 33% chance of getting elected. Now, let me give you the context, because that sounds ambitious. So let Gary flesh it out a little bit. Well, I think that uh, getting into the presidential debates, I would put the odds at just over 50%. They're better than not. And uh, if uh, we're in the presidential debates, uh, I'll give myself a 33% chance of getting elected. That was before this happened. What would you do if you were elected about Aleppo? And what is Aleppo? Yeah, that was not that was not good. Where would you give? What would you put, Gary Johnson? <laughs> if you were making odds, where would you put? Well, there always, there is a there is a possibility at the town hall that both Clinton and Trump spontaneously combust. Right? That you know that that could be a simultaneous spontaneous combust. If that happens, I would give him a twenty seven percent chance. Of <laughs> a, solid, a solid twenty seven percent. What would happen if something happened to both, like a tragedy? Would the, would the running mates both step in? Would they renominate? Uh, well, like, uh, I think. Well, I do. I think. I don't. I think the democratic rules is that there is still those people. I guess I don't know. But we call them super delegates. I think they could be regathered and they would make a choice and they could choose to go ahead and go with the running. Mate. But I think it still would be open for there to be. Um, now I don't know. There might be a time factor now too. So I might. I, I don't know that, but I know. There was some talk earlier on that that still could be done. You could get a new person on the top. Yeah, well, I think uh, that the libertarians are going to stick with their guy. Yeah, and um, one of the things that you and I were talking about um, and in the follow-up, uh, I guess this was last week, he was in a town hall with uh, Chris Mathis, Matthews. Right? Yeah, Chris Matthews. And it, with the, it, I think he was in the University of New Hampshire or something. Uh, yeah, I don't remember where it was. but um, and. He, Chris Matthews, asked you know, him to name his the national or international leader that he admired the most, and he could not come up with the name of a not that he not only that he didn't admire, he couldn't come up with the name of a current sitting international leader. Now, he probably knew Putin, but I, obviously, you know that's uh, you know Trump's dating him, so we can't he can't choose he can't take Putin. But 
No, I, so we, we got to talking about, well, all right, why does someone who was a successful governor, an intelligent man, um, how come he doesn't know this? And you speculated it could be a function of being a libertarian. Yeah, and that's not like some of my best friends are libertarians. So it's not, I mean, this is not like a, a dig, but, but I was wondering because it's not, you know, we've seen people like, We've seen certain people in both parties, you know, it just seemed not curious intellectually. And, and it, it, you know, maybe they have a slick image, maybe they have a good staff, but eventually it comes out, you know, it, often right. in debates or something like that. But, you know, Gary Johnson, I've seen him in numerous contexts. He's not a dumb guy. He's articulate. He, he seems pretty smart. He was a popular two-term governor. I mean, in a state that had a lot of Democrats, I think, you know, it's kind of a, is New Mexico a blue state? I mean, it's, I, I, it, it sometimes does feel Democrat. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's, and so for a guy like that, so I'm just thinking like, it, it, like, cause you could be smart and not intellectually curious, you know, it, you right. know, uh, just like you could be curious, I guess, and not smart. Although that seems less the case usually, but it could happen. So I was wondering, I wonder if, is there something to, to do with the fact that like he really would, I mean, I, part of the libertarian pl uh, platform or at least a philosophy I heard of a guy interviewed on, on Freakonomics was saying that, you know, they, they would reduce the military to the size they could only defend the continental United States. So I think that it, there's the sense in which if you think that government shouldn't be that engaged in international affairs, that, that it, you should have a kind of, you know, isolationist sounds pejorative, but if you, let's say less adventuresome or, you know, less aggressively engaged, however you say it, if you think government shouldn't do much to regulate trade and things like this, you know, even internationally, I wonder, does that just make you like less curious? I mean, are you, are you just less concerned because, hey, I'm not really, you know, that's not my thing anyway. By the way, our listeners in Hawaii and Alaska are have left the episode to go buy arms. Exactly. Because yeah. you said yeah. he's only going to defend the Actually, they did say the kind of... So I guess... Okay, I, you know, this the, is the, 19, the, the 1958. That's what this guy said. So I guess the lower 48 is really what they're concerned so, with. So uh, a pre-1959 uh, United States. All right. That's... that's uh, Yeah, well, Hawaii. It's uh, global warming. It's going to take care of them anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's... Uh, actually... With climate change, the bunker might one day in our lifetime, maybe become beachfront property. It could be beachfront. So we could really, we, if that happens, we're going to start broadcasting in a tower. That's good. So just for the view. Because <laughs> really, it, whether we had the ocean to look at it or not, we wouldn't see it. We, this is very dark down here. Um, my guess is many of our listeners are not libertarians. So uh, it, might be, it might be helpful to just define what, what do you think is at the heart of um, libertarianism. Bill, I'm going to Google that. Okay. Actually, you know what I'm going to do? I never do that. I feel like I don't make notes. Hey, Siri, what's libertarianism? <laughs> this is what Siri found. Libertarianism is a collection of political philosophies that uphold liberty. Libertarians seek to maximize autonomy and freedom of choice, emphasizing political freedom, voluntary association, and the primacy of individual judgment. Libertarianism has been applied as an umbrella term to a wide range of political ideas through modern history. I kind of went into voiceover mode there. I really got into that. Well, that is, it does remind us that there are libertarian ideas that on both the left and the right, and they, they tend to circle around and bump into each other, don't they? Yeah, well, I think that... that if part of like what we say by liberal democracy means that like you know it, you could have a democracy that, that democracy that's illiberal meaning if 
you know, if it, it, well, you could see this, you know, in the Arab Spring when, when, right. it, when in, for, in Egypt, for instance, when like the Muslim Brotherhood influence kind of parties take over. All right. Well, you thought you had these rights. You don't anymore. Uh, but part of a liberal democracy is that the individual has a kind of sacred constitution and certain protections so that the majority can't just decide what goes in every regard, that there are certain protections regarding an individual's dignity, autonomy, and freedom that need to be honored. So, so everybody, whether you're Republican, Democrat, you know, Libertarian, Steve Lipless agrees with us on this, we would all be classical liberals in the Enlightenment sense. We'd all, we'd all say, hey, you know, there are certain things in the Constitution, Bill of Rights, that, and also in the amendments and, uh, to the Constitution, and as the court has interpreted them, you, you, rights you just can't take away. So we'd all agree with that. Uh, so life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. Now the the problem is okay. Let's go to our uh, and the and the right to like be sh- shitty about the Eagles, even if they win. You can be <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. free speech. Yeah, free speech. Uh, but uh, but actually, people are pretty happy right now. That's uh, true. That's yeah. true. So it's, um, we'll give them time. Give them time. Let's go back to our driving uh, thing. That you know, there should be no regulation of driving. That's basically what the person was saying. Yes. Well, yeah, that, that basically you, you yeah, that, that, that you, why, why should the government regulate, you know, if I can buy the car, if I, I'm, you know, I'm a responsible citizen, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It reminds me of my grandfather, um, of blessed memory, uh, was, drove a truck all his life, was a school bus driver. And in West Virginia, he had to be tested twice a year to be a school bus driver. Uh, twice? Twice a year. Well, there was crooked roads and they actually cared about their, their kids. And um, we were. If they care about the kids, why didn't it fix the roads? Well, it can't fix nature. But anyway, so towards the end of his life, we had to go to town, and I was riding with him, and uh, we drove 17 miles through twisting hills and such, and we get into the back, uh, we get into town, and he stops the car and says, Bill, you're going to have to park this car. And I go, why? He says, I can't see a damn thing. I said, what about the last 17 miles? He goes, Oh, I know those roads by my memory. Now, <laughs> I love my grandfather, but I don't think people who couldn't see, uh, we, we eventually kind of got his driver's license away from him because he, he would have never wanted to hurt anybody. And although he did put me at risk, <laughs> I guess he didn't think too much. But, but so, again, uh, that's, a, that's an example that a lot of people have to deal with. It's difficult when you take someone's car, you know, driver's license away. But I think all of us would say that one person's liberty uh, is one person's liberty allowed to put my liberty at expense. And most libertarians would agree with that. I mean, oh, by the way, I'm on their website now. I, I gave Syria a break and I just went to it myself. The party principle is minimum government, maximum freedom. And they say they believe in Americans, America's heritage, being free and independent, caring for people, principled and consistent, and tolerance. And this is what I think is interesting, the tolerance piece. And Gary Johnson has said consistently that one of the things he thinks that has hurt the Republican Party is is a sort of rigid social conservatism that's not inclusive. And so, you know, there's so many, I thought this might be the libertarian moment. Like if there, you know, it was a rare moment where you have two major party candidates. There are, safe to say, the negatives are high. People have strong emotional feelings to to both of them. And if if you're going to break out with a third party candidate, and I'm not saying a third party this are going to win, but make a show of it, you know, really make some kind of political footprint. This seemed like the year and libertarianism with a kind of, you know, who, first off, who likes paying taxes, right? Like, you know, the lower taxes, 
things like this. Uh, and, and as America's becoming more, soci- more socially liberal, it's sort of saying, hey, we'll get the government off your back, out of your pocket, and out of your bedroom. So I, it, so I think like, if, if you had a year for the libertarian moment, I thought this was it, but I think it has passed. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I too, I thought this would have been a very, a very good year for uh, a third party to make a run. And, and there'd been a lot of groundwork laid with libertarian, you know, a lot of enthusiasm yeah. with, the, with, uh, with Rand and such in the past. So why did the moment pass? Is it just because the candidate's weak? What is Aleppo? <laughs> now, yeah, I think, well, I, and yeah, I think that I don't even, and let me just say this, I, for, in Gary Johnson's defense, I have seen more humility yes. in gaffes and ignorance, because every candidate has gaps, everyone has gaffes, everyone has, you know, I, it was when Hillary with the whole pneumonia thing, I was watching Chris Matthews, and she came out and said, well, my staff didn't, you know, they didn't. He's like, I always tell people, never blame your staff because right. you're directing them. Like yeah, in right, so, right. I mean, there, but Gary Johnson was so humble, and I, I think he really seems like a decent human being. I, I, I think those things it, it didn't help, uh, especially as we're in a time where the world seems incredibly interconnected, and people that have no connection to a terrorist organization, you know, that, that attack, you know, do acts of terror and madness. And then say it was in their name. I mean, this is a kind of new phenomenon where right. we have this kind of, you know, lone wolf disconnected radicalizing. So I think some of it is that. I think maybe because as the election has unfolded and I think like, you know, it's I think people eventually we're in a two party system for for good or for ill. Like I think it probably would be more interesting. People would probably feel more feel, you know be able to express their own political opinions if it wasn't. But eventually it, it does feel like, well, if I'm really going to make a dent, I've got to pick one person or the other. And then if one candidate implodes a little bit as one has, has, has you know, and again, this is a descriptive nonpartisan judgment here. I, I think it's, I think it's difficult no matter who you're voting for to say that, that, that Trump hasn't had regular implosions, And most of them happen Right, his own inner circle. At, at 3 a.m., yeah. I mean, this morning they were saying that, like, that, you know, a team, this this weekend in Bedminster, a team of family and close advisors sat down and said, hey, you have to prepare for the debate. I'm like, wow, it's just, you have to eat your broccoli. If you're going <laughs> to be a grown boy. Like, I'm just thinking, these sorts of things, like, so I think that had Trump had fewer kind of moments that gave people pause, uh, I think, Gary, because it's interesting with Gary Johnson, people are going both ways. You know, like he's taking votes from both Hillary right. and Donald Trump, right? No, because, which is an interesting thing. Well, because libertarian, there's like there's a libertarianism of the left and of the right, and there's kind of and and I was at a uh, you know I was at a, a birthday party for a, a wonderful man, and there was some some uh, millennials there who were voting for, uh, who were planning on voting libertarian. I, you know, whether or not, and these are, you know, educated, smart people. I don't know if it was Gary Johnson so much, but this was what they wanted. This was their concrete expression against both the parties. Um, Do you know there's a pack, like, they tried to get, it's been going for, like, dec- a decade and a half or so, like, to get all the libertarians to move to one state, New Hampshire. So they're trying to get, they tried to get 40,000 signatures to be able to send this vow. I'll move once we get 20,000. Oh. And because New Hampshire has, like, a big legislature, right. 
relative to a small population. It's like really not hard. You and I could get elected in New Hampshire, and that's yeah. saying something. Right. Uh, I think they pay the a rep a rep one hundred dollars a year and a state senator one hundred fifty dollars a year. It's mm. a very part time gig. So like we could get up here and make a libertarian huh. Shangri La. <laughs> so for our, uh, sorry, libertarian listeners, this is, that's the place to go, New Hampshire. New Hampshire. Uh, you know, one of the things, though, uh, maybe one of the reasons libertarians are failing is that uh, maybe people don't want freedom. They're not, they're, maybe they're, I, I mean, <clears throat> maybe they're looking for a savior. They're looking for a messianic person. I mean, I'm talking about, I mean, it's obviously Hillary Clinton is the establishment camp. Uh, and uh, uh, Dan Carlin, who we both enjoy, uh, did a really good summary of that on a recent podcast. He summarizes both candidates, their strengths and weaknesses in a very succinct way. And I think we know pretty much what we're going to get with a Clinton presidency. All right. So if you're somebody who wants change. Crooked Hillary. <laughs> if you're somebody who Father wants. Father of money. If, you, if you're someone who wants uh, change, um, What's interesting to me, I think most of these people are going Trump. And I actually saw two uh, women that were interviewed in uh, central Pennsylvania who are the Trumpettes. There's a, they have T-shirts. And uh, no, I'm not, I'm not making it up. They have T-shirts, Trumpettes. And their attraction to him was he was going to, he's going to save us. That's what they said. He's going to bring back all the money. He's going to get his money again. He's going to save us. He's going to save America. And <clears throat> big league. <laughs> so that sounds to me, there's a, that's a kind of a, a messianic kind of thing. And I, I mean that small M. I'm not, I'm not going uh, crazy here, but they're, they're looking for... <laughs> you're, you're saying that Donald Trump is not I'm the t- return of Jesus Christ. Uh, so for all Savior. of you, and particularly our Jewish friends who are celebrating Rosh Hashanah, no, he's not... Uh, I wouldn't go to Mount, Ol- Mount of Olives right now. I don't, think he, I don't think it's him. Would you go to Mount Joy, Pennsylvania, if there was free wings at the rally? Uh, with with uh, blue cheese? Blue cheese and celery. Uh, Free wings. Yeah. There's a place, the General Davis Tavern, which is closer to your domicile than mine. But which, it's actually was today Monday. Today it is actually free wing night, and it's yeah, the free wings. It's it's you can only get like four or five at a time, but they're not small, and they have like dollar draft. It's a very see that's the kind of liberty that I'm exactly <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, all right, so Dude, we should get. I, I'm going to send this to the people. Like this, we just gave them a free spot. You just you also Langhorn Hardware, which you've you've advertised. Oh, uh, and that, I I would I that's that's not even a, they don't like I couldn't say enough good about this. Right, so they they've helped that. make our 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 studio what it, they've made our little house a home here. All right, so let's since we are uh, theoretically theologians as well. Uh, there are there are. Christian reasons to vote to argue to vote Democrat. There's Christian reasons to argue to vote Republican, and there are there are pros and cons. One can argue on both of those sides. What would you know, we? There are Christians who are attracted to the libertarian move. I know them. You know them. Uh, what what's attractive about that for Christians? Well, I think. Okay, so first of all, I think you know it's really interesting. Jonathan Haidt, who is we've talked about his work before. I really like the guy. I like him. So I wish he didn't have such a name that was like hate. Sounds so negative. He's a very charming guy but he writes about moral psychology and he says you know all of us choose political persuasions for deeply psychological reasons not like we just said i want to be this you know there's deeply emotional and libertarians are the same way but he says once they be once they become libertarian like once they they're the most intellectually consistent uh, of uh, of liberal or uh, more so than liberals or conservatives so i think it's a principled position so like there's a sense in which hey like like libertarians you know they for instance you know, wherever they stand on family values or things like that, whether they tend to not want to legislate that. If you want to do this, you can do it. 
they you know that maybe they tend to support things like legal legalization of drugs whether even if they're not drug users they want to give people space and she could say that just as god has seems to give us as his creatures a, a pretty wide berth in which to a- exercise agency that 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 maybe we ought to mirror that in the way we deal with one another and give people as much space as we can to be, to express and to develop into who they want to be uh, within reason. Again, if, so that, you know, it can't, as long as it doesn't hurt me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I also government, like the sense in which, you know, Romans 13, you could get libertarianism out of like, you know, the government is there to restrain evil. You know, it's not the, like, it's, you know, it's a right. pay your taxes. It's there to restrain evil. It's a very minimalist view uh, of what the government does. It's not there to sort of create utopia or build the kingdom of God. Or you know, it's there's a sense in which it's there to reign in the chaos. So you you could kind of say that look, a more ambitious view of government will, will magnify originalism. It will amplify our own depravity. It will if we can be oppressive with each other on an individual level, you know, the more power we give government, it'll just sort of snowball and become more and more oppressed. Of course, you know... Uh, the, Why don't I run for the... Yeah, you go. You had said I will. Of course, the minds that... And screw seatbelts. <laughs> and driver's licenses. <laughs> but the minds that gave us our, 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 our government, at least the philosophical backgrounds, um, were suspicious of government, but they were equally suspicious of the individual. And <clears throat> as G.K. Chesterton once said, uh, original sin is the only doctrine of the Christian faith where there's empirical evidence. And he says there, are vi- there is volumes of evidence that a, some kind of original sin exists. And so that, again, the, the problem is that they're trusting the individual more than, than the communal. And, and, and in some levels, it seems to me to be, an, to be uh, a position that may be the ultimate evolution away from uh, humanity as a, as, a, as a community as a common society. It, it seems to me to be the last step away from the tribe to have an extreme libertarian. Well, also, I think like it, it, I think people, it's interesting, Freakonomics just did a podcast about is the American presidency, has it become a dictatorship? And one of their guests was oh, what, something Posner's, Judge, Justice Posner's, a famous pragmatist, um, this federal judge. He, he's big. I mean, people in the pragmatist community know this guy's dad and this guy, his son went to law school with Obama and writes on the Constitution. Very interesting guy. He was saying on one level, yes, but not in the Hitler Mussolini thing. He said, I mean, he said there's extreme power has been invested in the presidency. And he said partially because after and by the early 20th century, the, things were just way more complex than they were. Right. when the right. so, so, you know, basically the Congress and the court treated the presidency and the, the executive federal bureaucracy unfolded under it in the executive branch. As sort of the first among equals, and it gave wide leeway right. to just because the country running the country becomes increasingly complicated. We're a huge society, right. you know, we're a big country with lots of diversity in a globalized world with 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 lots of effects. You know, like gosh, you go buy a toy and your kid shoot and they chews on it, and you figure out they have lead poisoning because something right. in China, you know, came. I mean, these things these take. It's hard for the Congress, you with a relatively small body with a small collective staff, to do these kinds of things. Right. And so I think some of it is the the 
kind of skepticism you could have of power, especially with the federal government, probably is harder in the 21st century than it was maybe in like the late 18th, early 19th. And what's, but what's ironic about that, it's on one hand, we're fearful of, the, of government. And yet uh, the very rhetoric of elections, we're asking more and more from our government. It's yeah. a very real sense to, and to solve problems. Again, I think you and I have mentioned this before. Uh, what a president can do about the economy is so small. Yeah, I mean, how, how much uh, econ- you know, the economy of president, particularly in a divided government, you know, when you have, you know, have Republic, you know, when you have a Republican Congress and a Democratic president or, or vice versa, what the president can do is, is very, very limited. And yet the promises that are being made and we, what we want from them. And so it does remind me a little bit, uh, again, I don't want to overstate this, but there, there's some trends that are similar to the last years of the Republic in Rome. Ah, it's interesting. This is what they said in Freakonomics. They were saying that, like, basically how well the founders knew the Roman history and actually emulate, because what they wanted was the earlier years in Rome, which was an extremely powerful country uh, with real checks and balances in government. And, you know, and and when you did need a dictator, it was a real office. I mean, it it was for, you know, six months, whatever, we have an emergency. And it was not viewed as a great rosy thing, but but nor was it Mussolini or Hitler. It was okay. We get, and sort of, basically the point is, we do this more and more with the presidency. Right. We sort of say, okay, we'll sort of see these powers to you. See right, these, and yeah, there's still huge limits. And and part of the thing this guy said, uh, this scholar Posner was saying, is that you know no matter who who it is, the, the what they can do is still severely limited because the president has to run three institutions. They're the, they're the, they run the country, they run the government, which is this, the executive branch of the government, all these, all these regu- right. regulations, and they have to run their party, right. which is, you know, he was talking about how both, Guant- both Bush and Obama wanted to close Guantanamo Bay. I mean, Obama more than George W. Bush, but Bush wanted to close it too. And things in, in both their political parties made that impossible. Right. <laughs> you know? right. So, so these are things that, I mean, uh, I think that, that what everybody could agree on is that limits on government are good, that, that, that we ought to have checks and balances because people, power does corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. As I believe Lord Acton said, <laughs> uh, there's an Acton Institute. So, uh, but you know, but I think the, the I, I think that, you know, there's, there's two kinds of freedom, right? At least there's freedom from thing, right? Mm-hmm. A freedom from constraint, freedom from oppression, but then there's freedom for thing. Right. And part of, you know, if, if the sum of uh, what, we're, what is the good life for human beings is, is to love God and the world he created, especially, you know, the other human beings, somehow that we're not just, we're not really free if we're just free from constraint. Right. You know, that we're, that we're truly free uh, when we're freed up to live out our vocation as God has wired us to do. And so I think on some level, People that are of a libertarian stripe probably think that the best thing government can do is free us from constraint. Right. But I think people of other political persuasions think that, no, the government can also, in some ways, not in a, to- in a totalitarian or absolute right. way, but in some ways can also help us be free for things. Yeah, I think the call to be our brother's keeper, uh, which... Uh, Cain declined, and so much of humanity continues to decline. But the call to be our brother's keeper, which is not really an option for Christians. I mean, the law of Christ is the law of love. Um, but it's a call not only to individuals, but it's a corporate call as well. And uh, I think the Christian freedom 
is a freedom towards the good and the true and the beautiful. Um, not a freedom uh, that is just another word for nothing left to lose. Bust of flat and Bain Rouge Waiting for train And I was feeling as faded as my jeans Bobby thumped the diesel down Just before the rain Rode us all the way to New Orleans I pulled my harpoon Out my dirty red bandana I was playing soft while Bobby sang the blues Windshield wipers slapping time highs Holding Bobby's hand in mine We sang every song that drive knew Just another word for nothing left to lose. Nothing, it ain't nothing, honey, it ain't free. Yeah, all feeling good was easy, Lord. When he sang the blues, feeling good was good enough for me. Good enough for me and my barbarian. From the Kentucky coal mines to the California sun Here Bobby said the secrets of my soul Through all kinds of weather, through everything we've done Bobby, baby, help me from the cold One day I'm nipsling Next to mine Freedom's just another word Oh, nothing left to lose Nothing La da 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 da